got friends only wanna talk business. I got expensive to win these expensive. I got expensive to win these expensive. I've been reading all the work. And I've been shutting out the stars. Cause when it rains and it pours. Yeah. And I'm ready for some more. Yeah. And I've been reading all the work. And I've been shutting out the stars. Cause when it rains and it pours. Hey, and welcome to Put That Coffee Down, the freight sales show for closers. My name's Kevin Hill. I'm your host for the special audio-only version of the show. And I have Andy Schultz here from Silo Logistics uh, in Nashville, Tennessee, joining me today. We're going to talk about flatbed, open open deck, that open deck market, and, and kind of... Uh, how that's different from dry van, how it's, I think, the coolest market there is. So that's how I, I got into brokerage was with that. It's a little bit complicated, but once you get those uh, those variables down, it's fun. We'll talk a little bit probably about double brokering, about qualifying leads, what, what makes a good uh, customer, what makes a bad customer. Um, and we'll just take it from there. And that's a casual conversation today with Andy. Andy, welcome to the show. Nice to be here, Kevin. Thanks for having me. You bet. You bet. So you're in Nashville. Um, Silo's, how, how old is Silo again? It's four or five years old. No, we haven't I, been around that long. No? No. We, so we started um, We started Silo uh, in May of 2020. So okay. literally like right in the midst of the pandemic. <laughs> um, I would say there was, you know, a month or two of concern or hesitation, but as we all look back and know what happened in June, July, and then straight up into the right from there, um, you know, we were able to kind of ride those tailwinds like anybody else did. So uh, we've been in business for two and a half years, uh, headquartered here out of Nashville. Uh, we're roughly at 50 employees now. So we have, um, you know, done a nice job of, you know, taking advantage of the tailwinds, but also, you know, kind of finding our niche and um, not wavering from that. And that's kind of really been, the foundation so far of our success. Yeah, May of 2020 was uh it had everyone scared. You know, you're coming out of April which was complete lockdowns almost, right? And in May was partial and 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 you know, there's days that we recorded in Sonar that were uh less less load volumes than Christmas day, right? Uh on a, like a Tuesday or Wednesday yeah. which was was unheard of, right? So everyone was very nervous, but uh for trucking and, and logistics uh, you know, that May, June, July, it was a, a straight arrow up and, and it was, it was that way for almost, uh, really almost two years, um, before you saw a little weakness, uh, out there. Open deck was, it was a little bit, what was it, a little bit lagging to, to drive in and that retail and, and consumer, uh, business with industrials or, or did you see that at all? You know what? We didn't, um, you know, obviously, like the e-commerce, um, you know, boom during exploded, that time. Yeah. Everybody's at home. Yeah, it exploded. Everybody's at home. Um, you know, I think Amazon did quite well during that time. I probably contributed to that. Um, but a lot too. of the, you know, a lot of the core, you know, core industrial businesses never shut down. Um, you know, they were, they were kind of, you know, obviously having to be careful with COVID. I'll, I'll kind of digress for a second. One thing that we were able to do is we were actually in the office by the end of June of 2020. Um, now that didn't come with a ton of precautions, uh, probably dozens of fire drills of 
hey, y'all, uh, you know, pick up your monitors, head home. We'll, we'll connect you online here and, and kind of figure it out from there. But in general, we were in the office. Um, and when our competitors were working remotely, I, I do think that was an advantage for us because we were able to collaborate um, internally and not having to rely on Slack or email or, or kind of that lag. And we can get into some of our kind of niche specialties, but in general, we have really short lead time. So when we were able to respond quickly to our shipper partners and carrier partners, I think I have to think that that played um, into our advantage to an extent. Yeah. You know, there, there's some things that you can do remote um, brokerage. I don't, I just don't think you can just because you, you have to be in constant contact with everybody around you. Right. Um, if you're new coming in, being remote is, I, I don't even know how you would even do that. Uh, if you're new hire into the industry and you know, there's, it's a trading floor. I I've always, this is my analogy. A broker's floor is a trading floor and you have to rely on, on everyone else, you know, whether, you know, pricing lanes, you know, throwing ideas off uh, people, sourcing trucks, right. Um, finding who does what I, it's just, it's very hard to do in a vacuum of, of your own home. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're like a really established 3PL with, you know, a bunch of contract freight, you've got your regulars. I'm not saying that they didn't have challenges working remotely as well, but that's something that you could probably pull off. But when you're brand new, you've got, you know, everybody is new to the company. You're trying to pick up new business and 100% of your freight is spot with basically a day lead time. Uh, yeah, that that's that one's a whole different ballgame. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about tech real quick because you're really big in tech. And I talked to a lot of people that, you know, a lot of, uh, let's say, tech-enabled freight brokerages, which I think every freight brokerage has to be tech-enabled now. But it's all, it's mostly drive-in and and maybe some refrigerated, not necessarily flatbed. Now, I came into this industry as a flatbed broker. I love it. You know, open deck, flatbed, you know, I'm going to use those Inter- interchangeably it's, it's all the same to me right yeah you know, step decks and heavy haul and you know all those complications and all those great variables that add margin to, to every single load uh which i like to do um but very very few times i, I get an opportunity to talk to somebody who's who's rolling out technology for that niche of open decks so uh, you know explain a little bit about what you're doing there and um you know how it's it's enabling you guys to have those 13 hour lead times. Yeah. So I think we chatted about this briefly kind of before we hit record. Um, But, you know, when you're in a open deck or flatbed brokerage, of course you need to have the folks that have the experience. They've done it before. They know that a Conestoga is going to cost more than a standard flatbed. Um, They also know that, you know, a hotshot is going to be less than a regular flatbed. Um, And then you get into heavy haul and oversized double drops RGN, you can, there's enough people in the industry that have the tribal knowledge to say, Hey, I've done this before. I've got kind of the battle scars and learned my lesson from not pricing it correctly. And, um, and you can continue to bring those people in and train them. And it's, I think what most kind of flatbed brokerages do. Um, but how do you, how do you couple that with all of the new folks that you want to bring in? Because we don't always hire people from the industry. A lot of the folks are coming in fresh out of school, coming from another industry entirely. And how do you, how do you transfer and kind of pollinate 
that tribal knowledge that Kevin, you have, you know, working in an open deck brokerage or that I have, you know, with, with that sort of experience. And, and the only way really to do that is through technology. Um, you know, we can't, we, we, we train and, and we mentor and everybody is like picking everybody's brains and trying to be a sponge. But when you have a, a pricing tool or a system that can es- essentially extrapolate the tribal knowledge that your most experienced reps have into a system that as long as you're checking eight foot tarps and uh, step deck, not flatbed or RGN, not hotshot, and, and you're, you're picking the correct accessorials and lead time and equipment type. If you can put that into a pricing engine that spits out a more accurate rate based on all those details, you can definitely um, scale things up a whole lot quicker and get people up to speed to where they're more comfortable pricing something, even if they've never even moved it before. So that's kind of our kind of core, uh, you know, open deck flatbed technology that we're looking after or that we're working on. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's a big one. But we kind of call it people efficiency technology. Mm-hmm. I, st- I steal that term from uh, our uh, VP of BizOps, Brian Roy, who's kind of the leader of our whole kind of dev team. Um, and, and so we don't necessarily have shipper or carrier facing technology. We may at some point. Everything is to make our internal folks more efficient. And that's, that is really important with Flatpad because if, if you don't run open deck, right? If you don't run heavy haul, I mean, that's, that's a completely different world, right? But if you don't run, let's just say Flatpad because that is the, the most common, you know, the, the, the biggest market share. And uh, in a much smaller market, I, I think um, – my, my good friends over at Highway had, has pegged uh, insured flatbed trail or open deck trailers, or maybe it's flatbed, around 17% of all the trailers out there, right? Now, the, the, the key is it accounts for more of the revenue that's than that 17%. What that is, I've been trying to peg down for years, but uh, it, it's very high margin, more expensive. The, the rate per mile is usually higher than, than a, a dry van, right? It's more specialized. And there's much more volatility in the, the pricing, you know, and that's day of the week, that's hour of the day, that's lead time. The, the volatility is just wild, isn't it? And so, so creating an engine that, that can take a, take a rating engine, right, that can take all those variables in place, and then you have, you know, your tarp, right, you know, what size tarp, right, Um you know, pipe stakes, you know, all, all these other little things that, that, that might be needed depending on the load. Uh, it, it's challenging, isn't it? Yeah, no, I think you nailed it. So you could know what pipe stakes or eight foot tarps or what the premium is on a, on a Conestoga, but you also have to be able to tap into what the current capacity is. Um, if you're a flatbed broker, you, you know this story. When your customer is asking for a Conestoga only, there is not one to be to be found. But when it can go flatbed or Conestoga, you got all the Conestoga options in the world, right? It's um, like team drivers, and everybody's right? Ex- when you need a exactly, team driver, you yeah. can't find one. When you don't need one, everyone who calls you They'll is- haul it for a, for a single driver rate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we're working on that. We're working on saying, okay, well, we know what eight-foot tarps cost. We know what the typical premium is on a Conestoga. But we also have to be able to tap into the capacity because if there's not a Conestoga within 400 miles, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> your, your, your um, kind of predicted cost kind of goes out the window. So yeah. there's a capacity component 
to the whole pricing engine that has to be accounted for if you want to be you know accurate on some of those specialized equipment types. I need to to, to peg the Conestoga numbers, right? Because Conestogas are uh, we used to call the um, uh, what is the, the 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 drop deck? There's a step deck. Conestoga is like the you know the the great well. Right, Moby Dick, the, the great the well, unicorn. you know, the unicorn in the sky. Right, you're never going to find one when you need one, you know. But yeah, the Conestoga, I love the Conestoga market too because because of that, you know. I mean, it's, it's hard to find. We actually do move quite a few step deck Conestogas, but I know that when a, one of our customers says, "Hey, I need a step deck and it has to be a Conestoga," that's kind of a play, you know, a time where we pause and say, okay, let us work on that before we give you a price, which we don't typically do. We normally mm-hmm. price everything before we have the truck. Um, but in that case, you kind of have to proceed with caution because you may or may not find one. Uh, you may. And 13 hours is a very short lead time for a step deck kind of, so it can be, uh, they're kind of like, uh, and I also did pneumatics at one point. Right. And, and pneumatics are like that, you know, pneumatics, you just don't yeah. find one. And if one drops out on you, you don't find one for that afternoon, especially out in the middle of Western yeah. Oklahoma. You know, it, it takes a little bit of time to, to get somebody out there if you can ever find anyone. So it, it's always, that's the reason why I love the, the open deck market so much is, yeah, I think a step deck kind of still is the equivalent to a dry van broker's uh, 53 van with a lift gate. Yes, exactly right. It really <laughs> is, right? I Whenever I was doing careless, I, you know, one, one of the most common things is like, oh, you know, can you can you get a, a database of 53-foot um, dry vans with, with lift gates? And I was like, I I can get all 20 of them, I guess. I, 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 I don't know. I mean, but it's a very limited number, especially ones that go over the road, right? Have you ever heard of a double drop kind of stoga? Because we've actually moved a few of those. Not many, but they're out there. Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't think I've ever moved one. Uh, I've heard of it. You know, it's kind of like a leprechaun. You know, I, I've heard of it. Yeah. You know, or a were- werewolf. Right? <laughs> I've, I've heard of it. I've never seen one. I guess they could exist. Yeah. <laughs> they do, few and far between, but um, they do. Yeah, I. You know, how do you account for one of the the. The, the biggest mistakes you can make and uh when the because it's it's kind of one of those like van reefer type of things depending on, on what the you know you know can it move a flatbed or a step right because if you can only move a flatbed and you send a step deck in uh you are going to hear about it for days from your customer right um so do you do you account for those variables or, or do you think about those at, at all oh absolutely you have to i mean you know, we're, we're not just in the open deck market. We're, you know, kind of positioned ourselves as like a premium, no fail service. So, you know, diligence is one of our core values and it's our, one of our core values for a reason. The devil's in the details. You know, if it can go flat or step, great. Then you can, you know, tap into capacity on uh, either of those equipment types. But if it has to go uh, step deck due to height or it has to go flatbed due to uh, length, um, you have to be on top of that because you, like you said, you send in a step deck for a flatbed or vice versa. And um, it's an unhappy customer. So uh, and this brings me up to a random question, right? Someone asked me not too long ago about um, trailer links, right? And it's been, I, I think December of 2015 or maybe December of 2016. I, I can't remember. It was the last load I, I, I brokered, right? So it's been a few years. And um, I know when I got in about 10 years ago, uh, you know, the, the difference between a 48 foot 
flatbed and a 53 and and there are you know all new trailers coming out were basically 53s but you had these legacy 48s so it's been a while since i've been in the market are most flatbeds now 53s and with just a few 48s or is there still a high percentage of 48s out there no there's a good amount of 48s so like um um Different than the drive-in market, a 48 drive-in is, is basically obsolete and non-existent yep. these days. You can't find them. Um, on the on the flatbed side, um, I would I don't have the exact number here, but I would say 60 to 70 percent are 53, where 30 to 40 percent um, are would still be your 48s. Right. Um, and that's, that's like a, a high super still. yeah I would, yeah I, I I it could be a quarter. I don't have the exact number, but yeah. I know that you know. Um, yeah, I mean, but ballpark on a pretty regular you, basis. We yeah. Ha- yeah, we ask, right? We fifty three, yeah, like exactly. in our TMS system, for example, we have fifty three only flat and forty eight mm-hmm. or fifty three, and we have that in there for a reason. Yeah. Okay. So that that answers my question right there. Is that you're still asking? Because every time we posted a load um, where we need a fifty three, we you, we you had to put in fifty three only, and you had to you had to ask, yep. right? So if you still have to ask, then there's still a lot of forty eights out on the road. A hundred percent. Yep, that's correct. Cool. Um, let's talk about customers real quick. Let's talk about customers and sure. about customers and kind of kind of a, a target profile that you guys have, have built who you kind of like to, to, to work with. I know you guys, you know, that 13 hour lead time, that's heavy spot, right? Project base, which you, you find in, in flatbed that it's kind of almost like contract and flatbed. Right. And then, you know, contract and the contract market, we can talk about uh, a little bit, but um, you know, shipper profile kind of, what do, what do you look for, for a good customer? Yeah. So, I mean, there's two different types of flatbed freight to target. Um, there really is still your kind of commoditized flatbed freight. That's your, you know, your steel, your building materials, shingles, fencing. Yeah, brick, um, that's lumber. Not our, that's not our bread and butter, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's the flatbed freight that a lot of drive-in brokers can move. It's not as complicated. Um, it's higher volume, more predictability on, mm-hmm. on lanes, um, and maybe the only flatbed freight that might be um, – able to be serviced in like the contract market. Yep. Um, we're kind of going more after instead of uh, lane specific, more commodity specific. So it's industrial machinery, um, you know, anything that high value um, items, really. I mean, because that is one of those uh, things that flatbed has, right? Flatbed has the moving brick or lumber and, or um, cement, right? And it's, it's low margin, it's high, you know, it's really a commoditized product. And then you have like high value where you have to go out and get insurance, you know, million dollar insurance because you have a yep. custom made piece of machinery that has to be at a plant at a certain time. The crane has to be out there. If it doesn't get there, then the plant shuts down, right? And if you have ever all shut of that. down a plant, you don't, as, exactly all of that, right? So, you know, it is whatever it takes to get there, almost. Right? Yeah, so you're you're spot on, Kevin. It's you're meeting riggers on site, going to a construction site. Um, you know, that's not all of the freight that we move, but in general, um, that industrial machinery does not have a whole lot of predictability of where it's going to, mm-hmm. um, because it's delivering to a you know a, a rigger, a construction site, and user. Job sites, right? um, correct. 
Yeah, exactly. It's not DC to DC. It's not going to another DC that is is moving at five of these special machinery, special things to, to one place, right? It is going in not only to job sites, but oftentimes we're talking about oil field, job sites out in the middle of nowhere. Oh, yeah. I mean, our our um, predictability and origin is, is still, you know, typically your major metros, you know, they're not doing a whole lot of man- manufacturing out in the middle of nowhere, but our mm-hmm. deliveries are just so unpredictable. It could it could just literally be anywhere in the United States or Canada. Yeah. Or Mexico even, right? I mean, like it can be anywhere and um and, and you have all those variables in play, which you know, when you have multiple loads like that, that's kind of a project, right? And that can range from I don't know, from a week to six months or to a year almost. We, yeah, or, we longer, have, yeah. or longer, yeah. Or longer, yeah. We did uh bridge components out of Mexico to uh to new york city and that was or it was it was they're they're building building right and um or a skyscraper let's say so it was some kind of wall internal wall component i I don't know but add a flatbed and um that lasted about a year going from you know from laredo to to new york so those are those good client yeah absolutely yeah so we try to stay away from the commoditized flatbed stuff Mm -hmm. um you know, just for the, all the same reasons as to why we stay away from high volume, regular, consistent lane drive and freight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, like those project based, those, uh, those, those loads that we we're just talking about or the, the high margin loads, high margin, high specialty, high touch, uh, loads. And I, I, I enjoyed moving 20 or 20 or so of those a month over 500, you know, Atlanta to Chicago's. Absolutely. Yeah. I share in that sentiment. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So, I mean, in flatbed, very industrial, very, and especially when you talk about machinery and and and, and things like that. Uh, those those industrial projects, yeah. So, customers all over the place, mainly metro areas, right? You know, those those high, you know, out of the Midwest, out of the Southeast. Um, where manufacturing still still lives, right? Not not Las Vegas, right? Um, but you have a lot of that. Um, let's talk about double brokering a little bit now, you know, and mm-hmm. um, and just how prevalent that is. You know, you hear stories uh, that it's is is really. I mean, that it's really bad. That it's as bad as. I mean, that's a huge problem, right? I mean, it was always bad, but now, I mean, how big of a problem is it? How much does it touch you? I mean, it's a big problem and it's a big problem for everybody. I would say, although we deal with it on a daily, hourly basis, I would say that we're a little bit more insulated from it only because, um, and I'm not saying it's exclusive to the drive-in market because mm-hmm. it's not, um, but I would say that um, it's more prevalent in drive-ins and straight box trucks and people trying to partial stuff that you know yeah. they can pick up here and consolidate there. And, um, you know, if we've got a, a double drop load or a step deck kind of stoga load, yeah. um, you know, I, I'm not saying that it hasn't been attempted to be double broker because I'm sure it has, but, um, I think in general, they're going after a little bit more of the lower hanging fruit. Um, because you know, the reality is for, they could try to, you know, do it one time, but they would get caught quicker. Right. Then, mm-hmm. if they're able to, without anybody knowing, double broker a full uh, 53 van load cross country, it does deliver. 
Nobody yeah. really knows the difference. And, you know, it takes a little longer for them to get caught. Um, well, that being said, we, we obsess over it. It is happening every day. I would just say that they're, they shy away a little bit more from the open deck or specialized stuff. I, I, and I agree with that because even if you want a double broker, that, that double drop load that has to be at a project, yada, 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 you have to know what you're talking about to be able to, uh, to double broker it. Right. You're still double broken, but you can't go in without any knowledge or um, know how of, of how to actually pull that off and be successful at double brokering. We're also that never going to book a load. Yeah, absolutely. We're also never going to book a load with somebody that's not giving us the driver's name and number. We're not talking to the driver multiple times before mm-hmm. a pickup or delivery like that. Um, and, and so I think that kind of weeds things out as well. Do you think um, double brokering kind of really blew up in the last couple of years because capacity was so tight? And now that it's loosened up, that that might subside a little bit because you're not just out trying to find a truck all the time. You know, you can find capacity and you can find legitimate capacity pretty readily right now, especially in the drive van market. Yeah, well, so to answer your first question, it definitely blew up in the last two or three years. Um, You know, 10 years ago when I was brokering freight, um, I'm sure it happened because, you know, we know it mm-hmm. did, but it wasn't in the same vein um, that you see it now. It was, hey, we thought it was ABC carrier picking it up, mm-hmm. but they're in a industrial park with XYZ carrier. They didn't have a truck. And so mm-hmm. they sent it up kind of a, uh, you know, Triple. handshake part. Yeah. Partner yeah. carrier. Yeah. Right. And, and nobody kind of knew the difference where now it's it's people, you know, purposely deceiving who they are. Um, they've kind of got a plan and a scheme. And to answer your second question, I think everybody thought that the double brokering would subside as rates started to come down. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, in 2021, rates were so high, there was so much meat on the bone mm-hmm. that these folks, you know, were able to, um, you know, find a way to double broker it or triple broker it or quadruple broker it <laughs> in some cases, right? Who knows how many times it gets passed along. Um, and when, you know, the rates were where they were at, there was just more opportunity to do so. And, and so I think the general kind of common sense would say as rates subside, as folks are starting to run, you know, a whole lot closer to their operating costs, that there wouldn't be that meat on the bone that allowed for those things to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I, I'm not sure if it has reduced. I mean, I, I hear, you know, kind of more uh, folks complaining about it now than, um, than we ever have. So maybe that just takes time to develop and, and actually kind of, you know, kind of cleanse things out. But up to this point, it doesn't seem to be subsiding a whole lot. That's interesting you're, you're, because th- there isn't a lot of meat on the bones, but as you said, you pointed out and, and I, I guess I've, I've, we've written articles about it. So, um, so it's there, but it's more organized. It's like organized double brokering or organized crime, right? I mean, it's like a syndicate out there uh, doing it with the playbook. And, you know, 10 years ago, whenever I got in, um, it was one off here, one off there. You you know, you'd always get the alerts about um, someone, you know, because I guess somewhat easy, right? You can take someone's MC number and pose that to them all day long. I mean, there's really no controls on, on that. And, you know, you can get sophisticated and make up your own email address and make it very similar to, to that. And, um, you, you could run that scheme, but it wasn't, wasn't kind of organized like it is now. Glendale, right? You go back to, to Glendale. 
uh, there's a whole sophisticated operation there and overseas, right? You know, Ukraine. Uh, yeah, I think Glendale was anyway. kind of the breeding ground. And, and for the longest time, you could, you know, uh, avoid calls from Glendale or North Hollywood yeah. and, and probably, you know, filter out the vast majority of it. But these folks are smart. They're nimble. Mm-hmm. They realize that people are catching on. And so it's Ohio. It's Texas. There's no rhyme or reason at this point on where the, you know, quote unquote carrier, yeah. as we know, is it's actually not a carrier, but where the carrier is technically mm-hmm. based. Um, I think they've kind of figured a workaround on the people picking up on the Glendale or North Hollywood scheme. Yeah. All it takes is a different area code, right? Yeah. A Google number that, you know, can get canceled at any point in time. An email yep. address that looks nearly identical, um, but it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, but I mean, I think, you know, the transportation industry needs to fix this transportation problem. You know, it, it really needs to come from um, folks that are able to investigate the stuff and, and know the kind of nuances of how folks are tiptoeing around what looks to be a legitimate business. Um, and I, and I, one thing that I would say about our industry, it's uber competitive. You know, however many freight brokers are out there, you, we've all heard various numbers, whether it's 10,000 or 18,000 or whatever it is. But what I am impressed with mm-hmm. is that folks are not afraid to share the list that they've worked really hard to put together. Um, there yeah. needs to be a more systematic way of doing this, more live and in the moment. But it's just nice to see competitors help competitors and say, hey, here's our list of the 2,000 folks that we've identified as, you know, doing a whole lot of double brokering and, um People have been not hesitant in any way, shape, or form to share that information, and nor have we. Yeah, I, I think that's a, the, a compliment to to the business, a very highly competitive business, as you said, is sharing that information because it, it helps everybody else out. It helps yourself out. You're helping just just rid, or at least keep at bay the the fraud that is is in the industry because there's there's just a lot of fraud. It's a huge industry, so it's going to attract uh, a lot of fraudsters that, that come in. So it's good. You talk about how many freight brokers there are or freight brokerages. Well, let's do that. Freight brokerages. And this is something that I talk, everyone, everyone asks me and I, I have my answer. What, if, if you could pick a number, um, you know, freight brokerages that are, that are really active, maybe doing a million dollars in gross a year or more, or if you have another threshold that, that you want to throw out there, that's fine as well. Yeah. I mean, I think the number that everybody throws out and jumps to quickly is the number of registered freight brokers. And, and that can and be quantified pretty quick. And and that's like your 18,000 number that everybody no. knows, or, or roughly that, right? No, I mean, um, but, the, but the folks that are actually brokering freight um, on a daily basis is definitely more than a thousand, um, but it feels like less than five. I, I could be wrong about yep. that. I, I could very well be wrong, but um, well, I'll give that you my feels number. closer to reality. I'll give you my number, 5,000. And that's just a go. ballpark number, 5,000. I, you know, And that's from well, a lot of that as uh, when I was doing carrier lists. I was calling every single freight broker I could, right? Um, yeah, you would know better than anybody. Uh, yeah, and I would peg it at 5,000, right? And the, the one caveat I would give on that is agents, right? Yep. Agents and you know how many land store agents do you have? I don't know a lot. Um, and then agents and other places who are basically independent, but they're running under someone else's MC number. You know how many? 
you know, I, I'd still say around 5,000. Yeah. Well, then you have the dispatch services, which we all know are not freight brokerages, but mm-hmm. and often, you know, in a lot of cases, they kind of, um, at least up to this point, have acted as one. And yes. boy, if you were to throw those folks in there, then then the number would probably explode. But um, yep. yeah. Yeah, you would. You would. Yeah, it, it definitely would. Dispatch services is, uh, it's an interesting thing that the FMCSA just came out with, with some more rules that didn't really change anything or different clarifications maybe that kind of kept the status quo as, as far as I read it. I mean, have you read it? Anything? Did you read that? And, and I did. A, yeah. And we'll see if anything, if anything, yeah, we'll see if anything changes. I've been keeping up to speed on it. Yeah. And, and to me, it's kind of a shame because, um, there is a need for a true, true dispatch mm-hmm. service. If if there I'm is. a carrier and Kevin, you're a dispatch service and Hey, I'm going to drive in my truck, but I'm not good at finding my loads. And mm-hmm. I want to hire you to exclusively find loads for me. That's a great business it model is. and a good partnership and mutually beneficial. But um, unfortunately that has been abused and it's no longer Hey, I've got these eight carriers that I dispatch for, and you know, seven are owner ops, and one's got three trucks, or whatever it may be. Yep. Like that's a legit business. Um, those mm-hmm. folks need that, and um, the their deals are are transparent. They know what the dispatch service is taking, mm-hmm. um, but unfortunately, that has been, like I said, uh, abused, abused to a point yeah. where um, it's no longer uh, as pure as it was supposed to, you know, designed to be. Yeah, you know, I, I I was I had dinner with the the, the guys from Taps. Um, they have dispatch service and and a lot of things, and, and they they put it in a really good way. And, and the legitimate reasons for dispatch service, your dispatchers are representing the carrier, brokers are representing the shippers, and there, there's some good reasons. But it, they're, they're like anything else, if it's unregulated, and I'm not arguing for regulations, right? But if it's unregulated, it it, it the, you know the, just the invitation for people to abuse it. Yeah, agreed. You know, so it, it definitely is. Um, so, Andy, uh, you know, final question for you, kind of your outlook for 2023. We're sitting here. It's it's currently December. What is this? December 9th, 2022. And um, just just your thoughts on, on 2023. There's no right or wrong answer. No one knows. Um, <laughs> but I like to give my predictions anyway. And I like to get other people's predictions because you never know. They might... Uh, sway you in in a different direction yeah uh well if anybody had the crystal ball we would all be you know uh obviously uber wealthy but um yeah we do pay attention pretty closely to to what's happened we we definitely saw what was coming here in 2022 um i wouldn't say perfectly but um you know fairly with reasonable lead time and and not Mm -hmm. too far off and when we started seeing that drop it didn't happen for drive-ins until you know, March, but then the flatbed market turned in a very strange time, which was, you know, right in the middle of June. Yeah. That is the yeah. strangest time for the flatbed market to turn. Mm-hmm. Um, predictions for 2023, it doesn't feel like the drive-in market has much room to move, right? Like these guys are running at razor thin margins. And I know that we've talked a lot about open deck, 30 to 35% of our freight is still drive-in. So like we're in tune mm-hmm. to that um, mode as well. And um, I think fuel will continue to come down. Um, that will definitely bring down the average revenue per load for brokerages. Um, you know, I, we hope that this is not the case, but there's still a little bit of a room to get to the floor on the flatbed side. Like 
the rate per miles are still up to where these guys are able to be certainly not as profitable as they were before, but profitable. Um, so there's room to move there, but there's not room to move on the dry hand side. I think it'll be a tough Q1, um, no question. But for us, flatbed and open deck stuff always picks up March, April. That also coincides with, you know, produce. Um, although we don't play in the reefer market, produce obviously is picking up around that time as well. So I would say Q2, if I had to, you know, throw some, throw a stab at it, is when we might see our first little bounce back. Cool. Cool. No, I, I agree. The, the, the first quarter is going to be rough. Most of the second quarter is going to be rough. Um, but but we'll see we'll see what happens. You know, there's a lot of things outside the control of, everybody. you know, inflation, um, interest rates, unemployment. You know, there, there's a lot of things, a lot of variables floating out around there that are, are going to have an effect on, on trucking itself. You know, I mean, price of diesels, you, you mentioned, uh, so that's going to. So it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. Um, we probably need some kind of catalyst event probably to um, – to, to do something or what that may be or when it may be. I, I don't know. That's just my take on it. But um, sure. yeah. So, Hey, Andy, thanks for, for joining us today on, on put that coffee down. It's a great conversation. Um, and yeah. How does our, our listeners reach out and, and contact you and, and learn more about silo? Sure. Yeah. Um, so website is uh, shipsilo.com. Um, you can catch me on LinkedIn, Andy Shields. Um Feel free to drop me an email, andy at shipsilo.com. Check out our LinkedIn page. Check out our website. Um, we're growing here in Nashville, so continuing to hire and looking for talent. Thank you. Thank you very much, Andy. It's been a pleasure. And that wraps this edition of Put That Coffee Down. Thanks a lot, Kevin. No, you don't. Here I come. No, you don't.